This is the Lightning Junkies Podcast with your host, Chaz Kryptosen. On this episode of the podcast, we have Lightning Koala, and we're mostly talking about Lightning Gaming. We touch on things like different pitfalls that you can run into if you're new to Bitcoin or crypto generally. And we also talk about the different games that Koala developed over time, uh, as well as what they're doing nowadays. I'm not going to spend a long time talking in this intro today. If you're interested in supporting me, just go ahead and contact me on Twitter or Keybase, and I'll let you know the best ways to support me. For now, let's go ahead and jump into this episode and see what Lightning Koala has to say. Go ahead and welcome Koala to the Lightning Junkies podcast. How are you doing? Hey, I'm great. Nice to be here. Glad that you joined me here on the podcast. On these things, I like to start it, you know, very in a very basic way and just have you, you know, kind of tell me your general background, preferably before you got into Bitcoin. Yeah, so I got into Bitcoin around 2014. I just like bought some Bitcoin after watching Andreas's talk on the Canadian Senate. Slowly got into like reading more about it, the financial and the technical side, then got to where I am nowadays, working at River. Okay. What were you doing before you found Bitcoin? I was working as a software engineer for a company based out in China that was doing uh, educational like e-learning, like an e-learning platform. Okay. After you found Bitcoin, what shape did your interest take? Initially, it was mostly just like speculative because I was interested in, in financial markets and I was looking at where Bitcoin was at in terms of the market cycle and I think it was after the Mt. Gox implosion so everything was kind of going down into a bear market and then this idea of like oh where does our money come from kind of led me down a a rabbit hole. Got it okay would you say that the economic portion of Bitcoin was what brought you in initially even before the technology portion? Yeah I would say so. And then how did things go from there? I remember at some point I so I got hardware wallet and then like some point I got like that 21 computer oh but actually before that I think like most Bitcoiners have like a nightmare story of some like money they lost back in the day or something stupid they did back in the day and i think mine was there was this company called btc jam who did like loans i think i put some bitcoin in there not much but that kind of went tits up so that was my stupid decision back in the day well there was, there was more than one but <laughs> that's probably like uh one that I, that I thought of right now yeah like i got the 21 computer because i thought oh i want to start like getting my hands dirty and my background before software was in electronic engineering and I like just messing around with hardware. So, so I thought that was an interesting thing to, to, to get, but now it's mostly just a paperweight, but it, it, it helps me. And but actually like I met a couple of people through the Slack channel they had, and that was actually how I eventually got to work in, in the industry, which was something that I really wanted to get into. So before that I, I was not working on Bitcoin. And then afterwards I, I managed to like, well, before before I was working in a, in a company not exactly related to Bitcoin, but sort of in the field and then just managed to kind of gradually bring myself closer to working just on Bitcoin. Got it. For our uh, listeners that may not know what the 21 Bitcoin computer was, do you want to give them a brief 
rundown on what it was? Yeah, so it was a Raspberry Pi Model 2B, maybe, with a like a mining chip plunked onto it. And the idea was that it could happen one day, but it was probably very premature. But it's this idea that mining will become commoditized enough so that everybody can run like a miner at home. You know, like your fridge can be a miner, your toaster can be a miner, and you're like, you have like a very small amount of hash power, but that's like enough to, to get a couple of stats. And back then, I think they had this variation of a mining pool that, that they used. I remember what it's called, and uh, and then there was also a like an API or SDK that you can work on to build stuff with. So there was a couple of people building projects on on that thing. Twenty one co ended up becoming Earn.com that later on Coinbase purchased. At the time, I remember finding it very interesting. I didn't buy one of the Bitcoin computers because I found it kind of expensive. I was like, that's that's kind of interesting. They're probably going to go places, I and mean, we're going to have you know ASICs and toasters, and you know we're not going to have anyone mining in China anymore, etc. Etc. Obviously, that that didn't yeah. happen. Going back to what you said a moment ago about how you know you had them, one of your big mistakes with getting into Bitcoin was BTC Jam. I actually had a very similar experience, not with BTC Jam, but a very similar service with peer-to-peer lending with Bitcoin. I ended up losing Bitcoin doing that. Do you know of any other pitfalls that, taking a quick tangent here, that anyone currently could you know run into and possibly lose their money? You know, maybe cloud mining might be one of them, but I'm not sure how popular that is nowadays. Oh, wow. I think there's, there's a ton. I was listening to the Missing Crypto Queen podcast recently and like the whole story around one coin and like the amount of people who got, I think there's probably more of those nowadays than, than there was back back in the day. I think it's just the, like this more generalized problem of, of like the, this like information age that we have now that there's just, there's a lot of noise. Picking out the signal amongst the noise is, is a skill that I think future generations, like the future humans, to, to get really good at, basically. I think there's just like so many, like all the shitcoin wallets and, and applications which are nefarious and might steal your keys. I think there's a lot of things that a lot of pitfalls for, for new users. Would you agree that maybe the reason that we fell into the pitfall that we did is because we had some kind of greed motive that overrode our critical thinking here? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't think greed is necessarily a bad thing. I think, I don't know if it's lack of good educational resources. I think we're, we're like part of a generation that, like the fiat generation that didn't really get a good education with regards to money and, and things like that uh, growing up. At least I speak for myself. The school system I was brought up in didn't really teach you about how to take out a loan or like how to do a budget or, or how does money work? How, where does it come from? Like all those things have kind of been like ignored. And so I think that's part of the reason why then, you know, you come out into the world and then you're kind of more susceptible to, to these kind of things. I don't know if comparing it with like pyramid schemes and things like that is the right comparison, but perhaps there's something there because, you know, you can also say that you know, those are also driven by greed, right? And that's like a very common thing in society. So yeah, I don't, I don't quite know the answer to that. Let's go ahead and move on, you know, kind of move down your story here. Later on, I'm assuming your interest got you a job in Bitcoin land. What exactly was that? I started working for a company called TokenSoft. It was actually a token sale platform. I mean, it was related to Bitcoin to the extent that, you know, we ran a node and like, we accepted Bitcoin as payments, but then we also accepted a lot of, not a lot of other coins, so I think just a couple more. And, but it was, it was mostly based around like Ethereum, smart contracts and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, that was, 
that was like my first step into the industry, let's say. Uh, but I think my interest even throughout that tenure was was mostly around Bitcoin. And even though I learned a lot, I was really interested in running a Lightning node, which we which I did with the CTO at the time. And yeah. So you mentioned Lightning there. When did you first get into Lightning to kind of give us a safe frame of reference here? It was around. So I started reading about it and and just researching before January 2017, but. I think January 2017 was when we ran that node. It was like the token soft node. And it was like really early back in the day. I can't remember how many nodes there were. It was like a couple of dozen, I think. Yeah, that was the first thing. And then that eventually led into me like building Satoshi's place. Okay. And what, do you want to go ahead and go into that? Because I feel like that's a good next step. Yeah, like I guess I, I was and I am like super excited about Lightning. And initially I started thinking about gaming. I started thinking about, oh, like, could you build a game like Street Fighter where like, you're punching somebody and then that causes some Satoshis to, to fly back at you. Just kind of thinking through that problem, realized that, okay, it's not as simple as I thought. And eventually I landed on just wanting to build something that allowed people to experience technology like in a very immediate way. Even back then in, in that first quarter of 2017, there was like a, a couple of wallets coming out. In my mind, I was like, well, somebody's going to download a wallet. They're going to open a channel or whatever, and and then what? They're going to want to do something with it. And so I, I thought, okay, well, I, it, wouldn't it be nice to have a, an application that you can just go on, like draw a couple of pixels, get an invoice for it, and just, just pay for that? And so Satoshi Space was, came, was born out of that idea of just having something that you could just like very easily and very cheaply experience Lightning. And obviously it was inspired by... The, the million dollar homepage, which I, I didn't actually know about. I only knew about the Reddit place experiments, which happened the year before, uh, which was kind of similar, but I really like that story. And I really like, you know, having that playground there to play with. It was very addicting when I first started using it, going on there, uh, fucking with someone's drawing or someone's some, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, it just seemed like the, the a fun thing to do. We're here on the internet and no one can stop me. So why not, you know, why not be a little asshole about yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> it got kind of crazy. Right. <laughs> How do things end up changing with that or progressing with that? So, so actually, the the start of it. So when I launched it, I thought, okay, I'll let me just DM a couple of people uh, about it and see if like anybody's interested. I had this app that uh, would notify me whenever somebody painted on it. Like for the first two weeks, yeah, you know, sort of towards the end of May, that it kind of like died down. Like I stopped receiving notifications one day and. And then I, I was actually in a, the state. Yeah, I was in San Francisco at the time. And I remember my phone hadn't like beeped for the whole day. And I thought like, well, you know, like nobody's using it. And then I, I came back to my hotel room and then I, I opened the site. And I remember seeing just a ton of drawings on there. And I was like, my, my immediate thought was like, well, did somebody hack it? Or like, what the fuck is going on? And then I realized that it was being shared on Twitter and, and Reddit. And so, yeah, like for the... For that month, it was pretty crazy. I was like checking it every hour or so, and some of the stuff that that was happening, it was just it was just so much fun to like open it, and then something completely new would be on there. And I mean, that still happens to this day, but it doesn't change as fast as as it did in that like first month. Uh, it was like June was like the the month where it had the most usage. So, so like leading on from there, like I I did a couple of talks that year, Bitcoin conference in Lisbon, and I was in the uh, Chenko's lab, uh, lightning week in, um, in New York. And it was October 2017. And yeah, it was, it was that summer that I decided that I wanted to just focus on lightning and Bitcoin only. 
and I wanted to pursue this idea of, of building games with lightning. So that's when like Koala Studio started. So I definitely want to get into uh, gaming on lightning and a lot of the ideas that I think are being kind of uh, started there and developed there. Like a lot of the ones that I kept seeing at the lightning conference, you know, I find very fascinating. But I want to take a step back here. You had started Satoshi's Place and you had that going. While you had that going, you know, during June or whatever, do you think you got had, you know, a nice little bit of uh, beer money from that a little experiment there? <laughs> uh, yeah, a couple of beers, probably a bunch of pints, let's say, maybe a barrel. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> but would you say that it was a thing that actually generated revenue in some sense, or was it just kind of kind of pennies at the end of the day? It wasn't sustainable. Like it wasn't. I could make a job out of it. I mean, uh, one one thing. So I had a very last day fair attitude towards the project in general. Like I just didn't want to change things. And I think the only thing I changed was once I put a a dick counter that was fake because everybody was just painting dicks on it. And that'd be funny just to troll people with a random number. That was like the only thing that I changed pretty much. So I don't know, like looking back, maybe I could have tried to like evolve it and change stuff. But to be honest, so the the whole project, it wasn't only like to come up with something uh, so that people can experiment, but it was also like, uh, I wanted to see if if, uh, I could run it on a single board computer. So. Uh, it wasn't a Raspberry Pi, but it was a, a an Odroid XU something one two, which is basically like a Raspberry Pi. It was running it like the node was running on that device. I was pretty impressed, but there were performance issues and and stuff. And like part of like the whole fun of it on on my end was dealing with all that stuff and figuring things out. But yeah, I wouldn't say it it was really like a, <laughs> a sustainable revenue. So my goal was always just to keep that thing running and have it there so that anybody that like onboards into lightning you know spend one satoshi to draw a single pixel and then get an immediate feedback to see to see that like yeah okay my wallet's working so what did you end up doing after that project you know you had that going you know were you doing anything else related to bitcoin and lightning you said you went to the uh, chain code labs residency do you want to tell us about that a little bit yeah so that was a one week long residency where it was a bunch of lightning developer people there and we hosted a couple of talks during the week and we mentored a couple of people who you know did some projects so like Lightning Jewel came out of there. Pierre Richard's Lightning project as well came out of there and a couple of others. It feels like really early days now, but I think that was the first ever Lightning residency that was hosted. Oh, so at the residency, I was speaking to Jack Mollers, who was one of the other mentors. And uh, he told me that afterwards he was going to go to a park to play chess against somebody. And I was like, huh, like just like that, like random people. And then he said, yeah, like, you know, we got talking and he, he said, oh, it'd be really cool to have a game where you can um, wager Satoshis on a game of chess. And so that was basically what inspired the Qual Studio project to build Lightning Chess. And Andre Neves, who was my, my co-founder, we worked on it together. He also came from the residency. Basically, him and I, we built this thing, that this game that, you know, allowed you to play a game of chess and could wager some satoshis and you could also there's a couple of other features like you could pay the other player to undo a move or you could pay him to extend the timer that was probably my focus for a good part of like six to eight months i'm trying to understand what underlying thread here because it, it seems that the the first project you did 
Satoshi's place was a bit of a game. It's not, you know, the the most complicated game ever, but it's it's a, it was like a very basic game, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, chess is a, a game of sort. And you've obviously gone on to do other kind of more complicated games. You know, what about uh, games in general can, kind of do you find interesting? And, and is there a uh, history in your life of playing these sorts of games? Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up playing games. I, I, I grew up in, uh, in Asia and games were just everywhere and they were so cheap and so... Yeah, I mean, I, I've always had an interest in playing games, and I think specifically for Lightning, it's just I just see it as a as a very obvious use case because it enables permissionless innovation, enables people around the world to interact, it enables micropayments. To me, it's it's kind of it's obvious. I think it's just a matter of time until we see something that just becomes a hit and and sees a lot of success and. As a, as a lightning game. I think I just think there needs to be like just iteration on it. And there's a bunch of projects now working on it, which, which are really exciting. I think 2020 is going to be quite an exciting year for that. But yeah, I mean, gaming in general is, is a huge industry. I think like esports has like surpassed a lot of entertainment and uh, or it's like one of the biggest industries in the entertainment industry. Do you see there being kind of interesting dynamics adding lightning to a game, for example, I'm playing Fallout 4 again for some reason. Could you just throw lightning at that and make it a, a different or better game? Or is there a specific game that you need to make in order to make lightning suit it, you know, really well? Yeah, I wouldn't say you could just throw it on there. So, so the way I see it is it's similar to why people switch between an iPhone and an Android. Like in my mind, the, the alternative has to be like, that's the kind of colloquial like 10x better. So you as a user won't switch over if there's like a good enough reason for you to do so. For the same reason that we're not all, all just going to switch browser or, or the internet itself. So so basically like I see that Lightning has to fulfill a role. There's no real alternative for it. And I think the answer for that is, is A, micropayments, just like fast micropayments. I think that's just like not possible. There's no alternative for that. And the other thing is Bitcoin and Lightning in general is just like the permissionlessness of it. So it's just the fact that some 17-year-old in Indonesia can build a game. And I don't know what the game is, but he can just build it and then add uh, Lightning payments or Bitcoin payments on it. And then just, you know, be received like without an intermediary. I think in terms of mechanics, there's a couple of interesting things like like different interactions that you can have between players not only players but with spectators as well but i think that aspect of things you know that there just needs to be innovation on that side i mean it's just it's one of those things that somebody it has to come up with with a cool new way to to use it because otherwise to me it's just the permissionless nature of it that that matters. It sounds like there is a bit of a contrast between, you know, a AAA studio and a 17-year-old kid in Indonesia that's, you know, starting their first app or whatever. Yeah, I mean, the, the AAA studio doesn't really have an incentive to switch. So if you're trying to replace it just as a means of payment, then they're not going to do it because many times it's the platform they're on, like Google Pay or, or Apple or PlayStation or Steam, they, they all have their own different payment systems that lock the users in, as well as they have the distribution channels. So, well, those are like the two challenges there. So, yeah, they, they don't have much incentive to like switch. But 
like an indie gamer, on the other hand, like a smaller indie gamer, like if he wants to implement or like monetize his game in some unique way, then Lightning and Bitcoin is that way that he can just like implement. So, similar to like how people put BTC Pay, uh, use BTC Pay for merchants. You know, there are alternatives. In certain cases, those alternatives just don't work. Like for a 17 year old, it's regulation. Like he's not allowed to have a bank account or whatever. And Bitcoin, Bitcoin just doesn't care about that. It might be something else. It might be, you know, religious application in Islam, in, in an Islamic country, or uh, it might be like a pornographic game or whatever, you know? Yeah, I think, I think it's hard to say that it won't be one of those use cases, but it might be something else. I can't think of right now, but like if somebody much more creative than I am can come up with a cool new application for it. Okay. Could the activities of like the indie studios kind of making this maybe a successful thing to do to add lightning Bitcoin support and be able to collect, you know, X amount of revenue off of doing that. And oh my God, it's so much better than whatever. Do you think you could one day foresee someone like Rockstar, you know, we're going to bring out Bitcoin lightning shark cards, whatever. And having something like that happen? Or do you think, like you were saying, like the incentives are just probably never going to be there for the large studios to do that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be some like small, completely unknown like group of people who are going to build this thing and it's going to catch the attention of the bigger players. Now, whether or not they jump in on it, I, I don't know. Like, I think if you if you see like lightning and bitcoin as its own kind of niche that has the potential to grow a lot then perhaps like it needs to grow enough for for those studios for it to be justified for those studios to come in right but yeah i think the probability is much more likely that you know it'll be something like like a small studio like donor labs or something that that comes in and, and you know replaces um, the traditional model. So let's get back to kind of your history here. So after Lightning Chess, what else are we doing here? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> the big thing last year for me was I got married. <laughs> that was the the biggest thing that that came up. So with Lightning Chess, um, we made a decision to try and fundraise, uh, and we spent about like three to four months doing that. And then it got to a point where my marriage was coming up, and and um, I just had too much going on and it just reached an inflection point for me where uh, I just had to make a decision and take a step back so I could focus on my marriage and just like readjust. So it was around that time where Alex from Alex Leishman, CEO of River Financial, approached me and, and asked if I would, would like to join them. I've been with River since June last year. Do you want to briefly tell listeners what River is? Yeah. So River is a brokerage uh, right now. U.S. only supported states. We uh, are a Bitcoin only brokerage with uh, Lightning support, so you can deposit and withdraw with Lightning as well as on chain. Our focus is just on providing the best user experience for the Bitcoin investor. We offer the ability to set up recurring automated buys, as well as we have a, a feature that allows you to track your your cost basis to cal- to calculate your capital gains tax. Yeah, so. So we're moving really quickly. The one downside that I see is they're not operating quite yet in the state that I'm in. So I've been unable to try out River. Uh, I signed up for like early users thing and 
I was not able to use it, sadly. So I, I don't really have an opinion quite yet. I would typically try to have an opinion on these sorts of things. But okay. Uh, and so that's kind of just been your life um, and you haven't really had time to do other uh, lightning projects. Is that right? Yeah, I've just been focusing on, on that for now. Do you have any kind of favorite uh, lightning app? It doesn't have to be a game exactly, but just any kind of lightning app that you like. Ooh, lightning app. I think I, I use a lot of different lightning apps, uh, a lot of different wallets. And I, I don't want to like, lessen any of them since we're, we're also talking about games i think one of the the games that i was really impressed recently was bitcoin bounty hunt by darn labs it's a fps prototype they built with lightning we can talk about that if you want sure let's uh go ahead and go into more detail yeah so the idea is that when you install the game it installs an lmd nodes in the back with neutrino and it's completely seamless for the user and and you install it through steam when you join a game this you're basically like inside the game shooting other people and stuff. But the the interesting thing was that you have advertisers that can come in and sponsor a game. And usually like you'll see like posters inside the game as you're running around or or you'll see a message. The money that they give for sponsorship gets dropped as like bounty boxes around the arena. So the idea is that you're as you're running around, you can pick up these boxes and collect Satoshi, essentially. Now, the me the mechanism is that as you collect boxes, you build up this stack of Satoshis that's kind of like, it's not, it's not yours yet. I don't know, temporary, let's say. Uh, and then the longer you live, the more of those Satoshis get transferred to your wallet. So I, I just really like the idea that has been able to kind of like create a non-custodial experience and kind of merge the incentive of players to play and advertisers to kind of come in with money to feed those players. Do you see in the future at some point there being dedicated teenagers that make a full-time income playing video games in this fashion? Uh, oof, I, I don't know, but one of the playtests we did, so I, I've been participating in the in the playtest. I, uh, I highly encourage anybody who's interested in this kind of like lightning gaming stuff to join like the Discord chats and stuff. And so Donner Labs has a, a Discord chat for, for this uh, Bitcoin Bounty Hunt game. So one of the playtests we did I think the top player, we played like for like three hours or something in and out. And the, the, the top player earned like 40,000 sats or something like that. I think that's, I can't remember, but I remember at the time, like we calculated that it was about $8. I think $8 is more than like the minimum wage in a lot of third world countries right now. I think Venezuela is one of them. Yeah, I mean, potentially could be a reality. Yeah, that sounds a lot better uh, to me. Like I'm, you know, trying to think about, you know, if I was a, a teenage kid or something, you know, would I want to have to go get sponsors and do all this work? Or would I want to just play a game directly, not even have to have people watching me? I'm just playing a game and beating other people. So my raw skill is paying me um, in Bitcoin, and I don't need any uh, any outside people. I think that there's a lot of uh, value and power in that. Well, right now, today, there's already kids who make a living out of being professional esports players, right? So in their teens, they'll get scouted, and then they'll join a a group that just like trains all day. Eventually, well, uh, to join a, a a competition, and I think it was Dota last year. The the grand prize was like more than $10 million on, for a team of five or six, I think. I think like each player took more than a million dollars in prize money. And these are like 
18 year olds or or less or things. I don't know. So so I think the reality is here now. It's just that you know right now we're just seeing kind of like that top tier creme de la creme. But I think much like well here in Europe, like the football leagues, like you still have like other competitions other than the Champions League or whatever, where players make a living out of it, right? So with gaming, it, it might be that way. It might be that you don't need to be like in the top one percentile of players. You might still make a living as a kind of like semi-pro player. And I, and I see I see um, Bitcoin and Lightning being kind of like the digital native money as a potential enabler of that. Do you find it kind of, not likely, but I mean, do you find it kind of possible or that, you know, teenagers or kids younger than being teenagers growing up with Bitcoin just being a thing, we'll see it just being far more natural than anyone, you know, even in their 30s or 20s now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think I think that's the other interesting side of, of uh, gaming, looking at gaming is because, uh, you know, this this new generation, like the younger generation, they're the they're the guys who are gonna get it. Like we're gonna be like the old folks that remember the days when Bitcoin was a thing and we used to go to conferences for it. Because if hyper Bitcoinization happens or some flavor of that or Bitcoin becomes just a normal day to day thing, then it's not gonna be something that you kind of talk about as a big deal anymore. You know? It's kind of I don't know. I think it's kind of sad to think that perhaps in the future, uh, when it makes it, then it becomes kind of, uh, duh, well, duh, of course it's Bitcoin. Like, what do you mean it's Bitcoin, you know? Absolutely. I I definitely see myself being the grandpa that's still there <laughs> talking about Bitcoin, though. Just like, in my day, we had Bitcoin. I remember it with your ex. I mean, I'm just trying to build a picture of the future here. In my eyes, I generally see it being far easier for any random person on the planet to just, you know, start making money, essentially, you know, similar to the Google Stadia project where you can play games in the cloud that, you know, some kid in some, you know, third world country can... They don't necessarily have to have to have a gaming GPU locally. You know, how how different is gaming going to be in 10 to 15 years? How, you know, how how grizzled are we going to be by that time? Sorry, you mean in, in terms of technology and, and hardware? I mean, yeah, like, and just how different the third world will become. Because, like, looking at today, a lot of the third world is leapfrogging over the kind of middle technology. An example that I see quite a bit is how a lot of places in the world are skipping over landline phones and going straight to cell phones because cell phones became far more prevalent in a short period of time than landlines were able to kind of become prevalent. Yeah. Do you see something similar happening with, you know, things like Bitcoin and content creation and stuff like that? Uh, with Bitcoin, I, I just see it as people growing, kids growing up and just getting used to transferring value between them uh, with digitally with Bitcoin. Uh, I see that as, as like a very likely thing and probably already happening. In terms of gaming, I don't know, I keep thinking like of the gaming cafes where like, uh, I was in the Philippines once and I walked into a gaming cafe and like there was all these kids playing Counter-Strike and it had been probably like six years since I had played Counter-Strike and I thought, yeah, I can 
I can do this. And I just like, I got completely, yeah, murdered. It was, it was just crazy. Like how good these kids were. Uh, I, I don't, I think that's still happening. Although perhaps mobile gaming has probably become way more of a, a thing now. Thing you mentioned about Stadia, I haven't actually used it. I, I have a friend who, who has it and yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's actually like living up to the promise of, of like low latency gaming and stuff like that. So, cause, cause for some of that competitive, the, some of those competitive sports, that's kind of a big deal. And in terms of putting more hardware in the cloud, like, uh, I don't know, like, I mean, I, I say that I haven't been working on lightning lately. Uh, well, part of the reason was like in the last like three months, one of the things that I was doing was actually moving a lot of the stuff that I have on the cloud into my own self-hosted hardware and also upgrading the Satoshi's place nodes because it was starting to struggle on that like single board computer. And just because it, it's old, like if I had got like a, a Raspberry Pi 4 or a rock chip or something like that, it would have been fine. But I got to the point where I have a couple of applications out. I just wanted to have my own like personal, like Amazon cloud service. Uh, I think like that kind of is pretty common for developers. Let's, maybe not like for end consumers, but a developer might want to have their own personal Amazon AWS that they can like deploy applications on, right? If you care, if you care at all about self-sovereignty and, and, but even cost, like I, I'm actually like saving money by running my own infrastructure. And it's really not that much of a big deal. It's not like I have like racks of servers at home. I'm just using like an Intel NUC, the i5, i7 processor, you know, 16 gigs RAM and like a bunch of hard disk memory. And I'm able to run Bitcoin full node, a bunch of lightning nodes. I'm able to run the Satoshi's Place application, a couple of other things. I also run uh, Nextcloud and uh, Rocket Chat and basically use it as like my ex experimentational thing. So I'm talking about this because I don't know if this like whole like everything in the cloud thing is going to happen or if it's, well, I don't think it's a good idea. I think maybe in the next decade or so, we'll start to see like more of a push of developers building tooling around things that help you remain self-sovereign. So I don't know if I'm going off on a tangent here, but like the, the thing about Google Stadia and like not owning the games and stuff, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like maybe maybe that's the case, but uh, it'll be interesting to, to see how that develops. So just to quickly comment on, on Stadia, I've never used Stadia, but um, I think in like 2012, 2013, there was like a, a precursor called OnLive that since uh, yeah. shut down. Yeah, yeah. I actually liked the service. I mean, I was a gaming pleb back then. Like I had a really terrible computer. And so I had to just deal with whatever I had. So it was it was better than nothing. And I think I was playing uh, Deuce X, pretty decent. And I kind of like it. But what I'm taking away from your answer is that not that things will go this way, but things should kind of go in a more, the way that I was thinking about it was a kind of BTC pay server kind of approach where you have this kind of toolbox of open source things, depending on what, what you want, you can turn this on, turn that on and be able to kind of launch all these services for yourself without needing to rely on, on third parties. Yeah. I mean, I guess for entertainment, maybe it's not as important, but I would say like for, for your own data and 
uh, definitely for money. It's really important. Although now that I'm thinking about it, I wonder if there's going to be like a torrent-like service that you can rent out like high-powered GPUs that run the game remotely and then you can just connect in and play like that. <laughs> um, you know, because I, I think with, with, uh, with Lightning and Bitcoin, the, the big thing about it is just being able to trade online and, you know, something like this would, would actually be, be an interesting use case. And we're already starting to see like some, some examples. I think Andre launched something recently where you can, um, uh, rent out like, uh, uh, some like cloud service node, or, which I don't know if he hosts or not, but this idea that you can kind of like rent something, uh, like metered starts to make a lot more sense when you have like, digitally native, native money like Bitcoin and Lightning. So I would expect that could be like the case uh, in the future. Yeah. And uh, I think I'm going to try to go for more of a speed round here. We have about uh, maybe five minutes to go here before the end of the show. Kind of talking about Lightning generally here, where do you see it going in the uh, short term or where do you see the biggest changes happening? Do you see it being kind of more use cases? Do you see the current use cases that we have getting stronger and more refined? You know, where do you see, you know, the whole kind of ecosystem going here? I mean, as I said, I haven't been like paying too much attention to to some of the developments. Uh, I did upgrade Satoshi's places in the Sea Lightning node recently to support the new version that supports multi-part payments. So I think, I guess that that's just going to, you know, the development churn of just working through these, these innovations that we've been talking about for the last year or two. I think Shinora is probably like the biggest, yeah, Shinora and Taproot are probably like the biggest like Bitcoin related thing that will have repercussions in Lightning as well because and we'll be able to do L2 and like a bunch of other really cool things. That's on the tech side of things. On the actual like applications, gaming, as we've spoken about, there was this uh, prototype of like chat over Lightning, which I thought was really interesting recently. Uh, it's just kind of like, reminded me of like, uh, I mean, I don't use IRC nowadays. I know a lot of Bitcoin developers do, but, but back in the day I used to, and I just kind of like imagine, wow, like if you can do like IRC with money, that would be interesting because yeah, I, I wonder if, if that, that, that's something that's possible with Lightning or if it will become a use case, because if we can kind of like have a, have a chat protocol on Lightning, then yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's something the world needs because it will improve the, the signal to noise ratio on our communications. Yeah, in terms of applications, uh, I, I think I'm looking forward to, to uh, what Jack Maas is coming out with this year. And yeah, I think that's, I can't think of anything else, but there's like a ton of a ton of stuff happening. Yeah. Do you see Bitcoin as being able to, to really change the world without Lightning? You know, let's say Lightning just failed tomorrow. Would Bitcoin be able to deliver on the overall promise without Lightning? Well, if not lightning, then it would be something else. <laughs> yeah, like it would still, it would, yeah, it would still work as a settlement system, which might be the case anyway. But I think lightning just opens up a lot more possibilities because, uh, yeah, with like with, with Bitcoin, you could still potentially have kind of like the was it Hal Finney that said like banking with Bitcoin, where like the settlement between banks and institutions happens with Bitcoin, but then you know smaller amounts get transacted in, in like a custodial system. I think the thing with Lightning is that it gives us a way to do that without the custodial part. So yeah, it would, 
work, but it would be like half as good, maybe. Okay, and I think maybe my final question would be, if you could snap your fingers or wave a magic wand and improve Bitcoin slash Lightning or create an app, game, whatever, you know, whatever you wanted, you know, what would you do and why? Snap my fingers. Yeah, I think it would be, it would be Schnorr and Taproots. Obviously, it's going to take its time and, and that's, that's perfectly fine. But if I could magically snap my fingers and, and get us to work through the review process and everything much quicker, then, then I would do that <laughs> without compromising security, of course. All right, man. I, I really appreciate you uh, chatting with me today. Uh, do you want to let the listeners know how they can find you on the uh, the internets? Yeah. So I'm a Lightning Koala with a zero instead of an O uh, on Twitter. You can visit satoshi.place for um, some Lightning fun and uh, river.financial if you're in the United States on some of our supported uh, states you can sign up start sacking sack i really appreciate you joining me on the lightning junkies podcast mr koala <laughs> awesome thanks for having me man boom that was the 22nd episode of the lightning junkies podcast what did you think about this week's episode did you enjoy it did you learn anything was your imagination inspired and pushed to heights that you had not known existed previously are you bullish af bro if this podcast has improved your life, then please consider supporting the podcast. You can do so via Bitcoin or Bitcoin over Lightning at crowdfund.lightningjunkies.net. There are also other ways to support the podcast, such as signing up for SparkSwap or Fold app via my link in the show notes. You can also tip me on tipping.me or listening to the podcast via ellencast.com. For now, I'm going to go ahead and end the show without too much more talking on my part. There are some surprises coming, so I want to have time to go ahead and work on those. For now, I will see all you beautiful, beautiful people, Bitcoiners or not, I will see all of you on the Lightning Network. <laughs>